0: From Ride Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, So, how's winter there? Is
1: it it less wintry? Uh, No, we finally got winter. It was very cold. But that was just polar, and now it's actually uh, we got the precipitation. Yes, this is the, the uh, weather segment of the podcast. Um, now we have ice. We get we it's uh, it's not awesome winter in this part of the world, on, honestly, because mm-hmm. it tends to be mixed precipitation, which is good for exactly nothing. You know, like <laughs> snow is fine, like yep. all that stuff is fine, but. We, ta- we And as long as I can remember, we get like, oh, it's going to snow, and then it's going to warm, and there's going to be like a sheet of ice on top of it, so you can actually sort of walk on top of the snow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Without yep. It's almost like a plate glass window on top of the snow, which is... Uh, I actually saw a fat biker break a collarbone falling <gasps> on that one time. Yep, broke through it and hit that hard enough. It was that thick. Anyway, I digress. Um, but it's, it's caused, it's been kind of crappy. It's hard to do, and I will get out in anything, but when it's icy, it's just tough. So I've been sort of stuck on the rollers the last past couple of days. But mm. today it finally broke, it warmed up, and it's, uh, the roads are clearer, and tomorrow is clearer too. But yeah, it's uh, winter in the Mid Atlantic. We're right in the line you know oh oh, that's gotta be tough wow yeah
0: um well uh good luck with that
1: yeah it's all right i'm used to it um (laughs) i am very used to it but it's 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 gotten clearer so that's and we see the sun again and that's nice and i hear that you're still drowning in a river of atmospheric nightmare so yeah what
0: what is what is the sun of which you speak
1: yeah, I, I see it. It's out the, it's out the window <laughs> right now. Yeah, it's, it, it, it exists. The, we have it on the East Coast.
0: The big river through this area, the Russian River, for which you know a lot of uh, Pinot Noir is named uh there's a whole appellation um oh. it's busy flooding we've just gotten through one huge atmospheric river We're we seem to be you know between engagements the grasshopper i'm doing on saturday is forecast to be low 50s in rain which means that once we get out in some of the hinterlands it's probably going to be the upper 30s so mm, yeah bonus but, Those are
1: your conditions. That's right, your superpower.
0: We've, we've yes, we've established that I have a superpower. <laughs> My superpower is maybe a little little less awesome than some other superpowers, but you know,
1: <laughs> you work what you got, right? Well, I I, I wish you the best. This <laughs> and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, unless you listen to this tonight, maybe you will. But happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, what you got this week?
1: What do I have this week? I have another listener query. Um, And this this is an interesting one because it's something that I wrangle with a lot when I write for Bicycling and when I talk to clients and just friends and people, you know, like other fellow racers, if you will. So the question comes from this guy and he says this time of year is when a lot of quote unquote training plans are moving forward for a multidiscipline cyclist mountain bike gravel cyclocross most training plans are not compatible or make sense seems like everything starts from zero to that quote unquote one big event and then you fall off the cliff what is the best method to maintain a high level of fitness for nine to ten months a year um, you know, he says, "I know, pick an A event and then train for that." But what if you have six A events uh, during the course of the spring, summer, fall, and winter? No breaks, unless you somehow force it in there. Interested to hear what you guys do to stay fit all year, especially yours truly. So, um, <laughs> and it's you know, this is such an interesting, interesting question to yep. me because people still talk in these terms of off season. It yep. makes sense to. Almost nobody. I mean, we we share maybe four maybe four weeks together in this big country of ours, maybe of yep. what you would call an off season. But I'm not even sure that's true when you consider the religion of cyclocross. You know, yes. like it, it's seriously so. You know, like way back before mountain biking was a thing and before cross became that religion, there was a semblance of seasons, right? Like oh, totally you. Yeah, you had a road season, and you had an off season, and some people did cross just to stay fit or whatever, but it wasn't ubiquitous by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Cyclocross was invented just to give people a way to train through the winter.
1: Totally. Totally. That jumping off your bike is just to keep your feet from freezing up. Um, (laughs) Right. But, you know, with fat bikes, mountain bikes, cyclocross, traveling to events triathlon, if that's your thing. There's really no such thing anymore as one season or one off-season. And I I am witness to that. I mean, that's been the case for me for a long time, you know, because I do all the disciplines and I always have. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you do, it's interesting, when you work with a, if you do work with a coach, then your coach would work you through that whole process, right? Your coach would be like, okay, what's important to you? And they would try to sort of bring you up and bring you down accordingly uh, as to what your a events are and you can talk we can talk all day about like how many a events you really can pull off in a year mm-hmm. um, but what to answer the question super simply, um, what I try to do personally is maintain a base level of fitness all year round like pretty much all year round. Um, you know, I'm in the gym, or I'm trail running, sometimes I'm swimming, I am pretty much doing some physical activity at some intensity about an hour a day, all year round. Like, that's just a baseline. Um, you know, when that's I know just I have sanity, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's just in my mind, that's being like a human being in a body that is meant to move. Yes. So I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something pretty much every day. So but when I know I have like, You know, come spring, I have these cremesse events that we've talked about, like the spring classics that are kind of long and hard. And I know that, you know, working up to some longer stuff, usually the first week of June or whatever. So this time of year, I just start extending my long rides on the weekends, you know, and I make sure I have like one ride that's hilly and around threshold. And I do one day a week where I'm doing high intensity of something intervals. It could be in the gym. It could be on my bike. And then one long ride. Like those are my three things. Um, anything else is filler or whatever I feel like, you know, if I'm not training very specifically and that's just how I manage myself. And then I taper before that, if, especially if it's an A thing, if it's not an A thing, I don't care. I just go in and just do it. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that I actually do want to be fresh for, then I'll make sure that I taper, you know, a few days before it. Um, and then. You know, recover a couple of days after it, and then just roll right back into that rhythm. So it almost looks like a little sine curve as the as the season goes on. Now, I will say that, you know, I start that in February. Come November, things are starting to get crispy around the edges. You know, and so after. <laughs> After the last, and it's usually Iron Cross or, like, one big Ultra Cross thing at the end of the se- my season how it usually ends. Mm-hmm. And after that thing where I just lay it all out, then I take three or weeks off or whatever just to do whatever I want. I'm still staying active, mm-hmm. but I don't do any – I don't care about the structure. I don't care. Like, it just doesn't matter. We, we, if I feel like riding for an hour, I do. If I feel like riding for three, whatever. If I want a mountain bike, it just doesn't – you know, so that's – I think that's important, and I think people – You know, unless somebody is paying you to ride, and I understand, like, believe me, I understand, goal events are important, and we all put a lot of eggs in those baskets. Um, I wouldn't get super hung up about trying to always be on form for every A race, right? Like, because you could make yourself kind of bananas, especially if you consider that you're going to have like six A races this summer or whatever. I mean, if you have like one in February and one in April if they're spread out perhaps you can sort of cycle it but Mm -hmm. you know we're all human and your things are going to happen and kids are going to get sick and you know whatever so I I think if you just follow that sort of pyramid scheme where you're just like okay this baseline of mine fit and then I'm going to build and recover and build and recover as best I can and maybe put more in structure around your a events you'll be just fine but I you know that's that's how I have always done it and it's it's gotten me this far so you have any thoughts on
0: well first i want to uh add an interesting perspective on what you've just shared so in 2012 okay. bradley wiggins of the hmm. um rather questionable <laughs> sky team uh he won perry nice he won uh, the Criterium du Dauphiné. He won the Tour de Romandie. He won the Tour de France. Uh, and then he went to the Olympics and won the time trial. And I think I might be leaving something else out from in there. Um, oh, gosh. You know, I mean, he won stages within those races. He was third at the Vuelta uh, Algarve. Um, it was his... his post of form from uh from Perry Nice through to uh the Olympics was a stretch of winning form so long that the likes of Eddie Merckx never achieved it he never won all of those races in the same season he won them all never in the same season so this is Maybe not a particularly great statement about racing clean, but one of the things (laughs) that I remember Wiggins sharing as well as maybe Brailsford, they talked about how they weren't allowing him to really dial back hugely after any one win. They dialed back a little bit. Mm -hmm. What they tried to do was never get him super hot fitness-wise. It was hot enough to win, um, but then they dial back and, you know, kind of kind of just keep the fire well enough tended mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. he was at a pretty high level of fitness. And then they turn up the volume or the intensity, as it were, you know, just a little bit before the next big race. And uh, yeah, you know, March to August winning. It's an incredible feat. And I think there's probably something to that aside from all the chemicals.
1: Um. I would agree with that. I would add that I think there's a circumspect time in the larger picture of your life. You can do that. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, Yeah. I mean, I, I got away with doing that for the better part of eight years probably. Um, but I don't, for whatever reasons, I don't think I would sustain it today. And I, and it, it's hard to tease out if you just get tired, if You know, it sometimes it's hard to tease out because that happens to people at all different ages. Like I've known younger athletes too that sustain something like that in their twenties and then just can't sustain it into their thirties. You know, like (laughs) for me, it was I came into it later, so I'm coming out of it a little later. But I think that whatever the case, I think that is it would always be very remarkable to me just how much I, you know, in in those prime years that I could come off of like a Cape Epic and then do something else, not that long into it and just keep that like you were saying that fire kind of burning and then just flame it back up again and just keep um but at some point mentally or physically i think that it has to go down to a dull roar i mean you just there's that's just yeah you know we're not robots (laughs) no
0: Uh, and 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 most of us wish we were (laughs) (laughs) Fair, sometimes. You know, um, I, the, one of the other things I'll note is that, you know, there was a period of time, I don't know, five, six years, where I really lived by the cyclist training bio, Bible by Joe Friel. And one of the things that I could never really do was the way he defined achieving peak form. You know, it was about six, maybe eight weeks. Mm-hmm. But you you basically had one peak per year. You know, if you were lucky, you might get a second little bump later on if your first peak was pretty early. Well, I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, I want to do this race in March and do well in it. And there's a race in May I want to do well in it. And there's one, you know, in late August I'd like to do well in. And I could never make the math work out according to that. And so I just want to offer a little empathy of, you know, this is tough stuff to figure out based on some of the traditional ideas 100%. about training
1: and and I think that goes back to the original point is that it it that that model is so grounded in like a national championship race or a big race, right, where you are just going to that one thing. And most of us just don't do that. Like, you might have one year where you're like, I'm going to whatever, but most of the time you don't. Most of the time it's like, oh, I really want to do well at this grasshopper, and then, oh, I'm going to go to Dirty Kansas, and I'd really love to do well there, but then I've got this thing in fall that... Wouldn't it be? And I, you know, I think I always did the sort of dromedary thing. Is it a dromedary with the two humps or a camel? Don't <laughs> yeah. don't don't at me, everybody. Whatever it is, <laughs> the one with the the one with the two humps. <laughs> I, I I uh I would successfully do that one quite well. But I I think that you can come pretty darn close to your peak. Maybe not peak peak peak, but I think you can kiss that that drop ceiling several times over the course of a year. I, I, I've lived I, I absolutely think you can but yeah you can make yourself bananas trying to do it by the numbers because it's a lot of it has to go by feel and you know I, I stood in a coaching summit once when Alan Lim was just starting out and it was really funny because he just got up there and he said when you feel good go hard and when you don't don't and like There's such wisdom to that, you know, and it's true. It's just true. And so many people just don't listen to that. Like when you're in your training cycles, when you got it, go for it. And if you're out there and it just isn't there, then, you know, call it short and go home and have some food and put your feet up. Uh, You know, there's wisdom to be had there too. But it's also, I think, that you don't need to, we can talk about this all day and we don't need to, but I think that people would always be very surprised that after a large event on the weekend you know like when i was doing the nues or those 100 miler things 100 mile mountain bike races right on tuesday we were already back at some intensity you know as working the coaches like you didn't lay off that much like you took monday and recovered but then tuesday you kind of were just ramping right back into it and it was it's surprising how it the, you did bounce back. It always surprised me, like how you you know you were able to bounce back. And again, like it's not like you can do this forever mm-hmm. in within a year for sure. But it's I think people have to experiment a little bit within themselves too.
0: Well, just to ask the question. I mean, when you were starting to do some intensity on those Tuesdays following a big race on a Saturday or Sunday, uh, well, and that makes a difference. Are we talking about Sunday events? Were these usually Sunday?
1: They, they were not usually anything, quite Uh-oh. honestly. They oh, okay. they often were either.
0: Okay, well, let's just take a, a firm example. then. Say you did a 100 mile mountain bike race on a Sunday. You took Monday mm-hmm. off and mm-hmm. you did some some intensity on Tuesday. Were you of such good form that you already felt kind of okay? Or were you still feeling like, oh, this is not going to be easy?
1: Um, I usually was in such good form that I actually felt okay. Now, I qualify that by saying the next day <laughs> I felt um, that I'd go into Wednesday and be like, oh, there's the fatigue. You know, so there was a bit of a, la- a delay into that too. So it's, it, you know, and then sometimes when I would just be out riding, like on that Wednesday, I'd be like, oh, so I feel pretty good. And then I'd try to go up a hill and be like, ah, there's the fatigue. So I mean, sometimes <laughs> the fatigue is, is hiding. It's a little deep, yep. you know, but it, yep. it manifests itself. So it, that that's kind of what I mean by like getting a, I think in all of it that pe- people, um, you know, I, and I get that everybody wants that, like, They just want someone to tell them what to do. But you really, really need to know yourself, too. Some people can go for a three-week block and then take off. Some people need one-to-one. Some people go two-to-one, you know, and it it changes. It depends. So it's just knowing thyself is is huge.
0: Yep. Yep. I I completely agree. Um, And then, you know, also understanding, like, you know, if you are overtaken by events and things get thrown around, that's when you especially need to know your body. Because, you know, all your plans went out the window for, you know, four days because everybody in your family was sick or something. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, OK, where am I? What am I doing? Um, and I hear that from from friends all the time. They'll get sick and it's like, well, do I pick my training plan back up where I left <laughs> off or do I pick up where I would be this day had I been training the whole time?
1: Um, maybe somewhere in between. You know, I mean, it's is, is quite the answer is just like, take that, I would say you start where you should, like, forget those days didn't happen, just, just be where you are. But if you're not quite ready for what that day's plan is, then just shorten it a little bit, you know, that, that's kind of the mm-hmm. easy answer. Um, but also, like a lot of this, a lot of it's mental, like a lot of it, you know, I remember getting and I, I honestly don't really get sick that much. Um but I did get this stomach bug, and it was a couple days before, like one of my key hundred-milers, and I'm like, ah. But like I was just like, okay, this is the universe telling me to relax. I'm going to relax. I'm going to take care of my-. you have to frame it, right? I'm just like, I'm just going to – and if you – yeah, and I won. I won. The, I, I went, and I had a great day. Um, and that's not to say that you know, it was all mental, but the mental – what you can do with your mind is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and and how we frame things is very, very important. And how you frame time off, like just when I was training for Ironman, like, uh, I remember my coach telling me, like, during the race, if something went wrong, he said, just look at it like a break. Just look at it like a little, like a little rest that for your day that you're going to go like after that little problem, you're going to be that much stronger. And I got a power bar that I had put on my. Uh, top tube and it melted and it went down into my derailleur and every and like it yeah it was it was unbelievable um so I looked down and I it's everything's gunked up and I was like this is not happening I have not trained for a year you know to have this go sideways and I had this that voice in my head I'm like planned unplanned rest (laughs) unplanned rest you know so I just got off my bike and said a prayer like I'm like god just put it back in the big ring and I'll stay there all day. I promise. I won't shift. Just please let me get. <laughs> I'll be good. Right. I'll just get back in the big ring. Um, and it it happened. You know, like I I did that and I come cal- and I that bike split was not awesome, but I made up the time. And uh, you know, you just have to keep your head from from being from going into catastrophic thinking. Or yeah. So it's again amazing what the mind can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got just as much power to psych yourself out as to psych yourself up.
1: Yes, yeah, that's true. And and whether you think you can or can't, you're right. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah, types that we could, yeah. we could throw out there. But, um, yeah, it's uh, – so, yeah, so I think that that's that's how I do it. I think everyone's got their own system, and it should certainly change year by year, you know, depending on where you're at.
0: yeah. Okay, so just to revisit, the, the three things that you incorporate in each week, you said there's a, a yep. long, easy ride, there's some high-intensity interval work, and what was mm-hmm. the third?
1: It's sort of like a sweet spot day, you know, where, you're like, people used to sort of call it no man's land or junk, you know, but I, I, that just sort of that comfortably hard bordering, like riding with faster friends kind of thing, or pushing mm-hmm. yourself up hills, like, where you, where you stay there long enough for it to be meaningful, You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, I think there's value to that. Uh, and sometimes I incorporate that in my longer ride. I did that this past weekend, you know, we were out for five and a half hours and that was a ride. Um, but yeah, I I think hitting, like I just, it's like Goldilocks training is what I always call it. Like you just hit all the levels and, and if you hit that, I believe in my experience it, it takes, it, it goes pretty far.
0: Uh well you you are a pretty fair example
1: of <laughs> living well, <laughs> right? So I I just think you know it just it makes it very simple. It makes it I think it's just easy to wrap your head around. Um, like did I do any intensity this week? Ah, I should do some intensity, mm-hmm. right? Did mm-hmm. I did I go long? No, that should go long one day.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that fits. Good, go
1: hard. <laughs> I don't know
0: yet. Yep. Uh, that's not the first time I've heard that either. Yeah. Um. And I've only ever heard really successful people or, or really good coaches say that. So there's something else to consider.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Groovy. So what is your poll?
0: I'm going to do uh, a reader uh, request as well. Um, oh,
1: thank you, everybody. You're giving us yeah. subject yeah. matter.
0: I keep getting the stuff that I want to talk about derailed. And I figure that's all for the good of the program. <laughs> <laughs> So our listener and regular RKP reader, Tom in Albany, is wondering about how to help someone develop a passion for cycling. He says his wife is a runner. She had a stress fracture somewhere around 18 months ago that seems to have hampered her running, or at least her willingness to go for longer runs ever since. He set up an old mountain bike with road tires, but says that didn't really help her develop a burning passion for cycling. I would submit that putting road tires on an old mountain bike is a bit like expecting someone to become a fine wine fanatic after serving them Franzia blush from a box. I mean, it's serviceable, you know? You can take it to a dinner party, but no one's going to lose their mind over it. Um, I'd also submit that she needs something that reflects her experience as a runner and approves upon it. So as a runner, I'm betting that she's agile, and I bet she enjoys feeling light on her feet. It's also possible that putting her on a well-balanced road bike could make the difference. Um, you know, if she likes to run trails uh, at all, maybe considering a mountain bike instead. Um, I'm not going to suggest that he goes out and drops 3K immediately. But what I am going to suggest is that he should take her to some shops for some test rides. Um you know, this is not the occasion to just go to his preferred dealer. This is an occasion to visit four or five or six shops around town and get her on every bike that fits her. Um, and it's possible, you know, one of those will will really uh, hit all the bells. You know, at some point, everyone becomes a former runner. <laughs> the question is, how do you restore that feeling of freedom? Um You know, not any bike will do it for a dedicated athlete. I think that sensibility of freedom of movement and uh, being nimble uh, is that's kind of a a refined sensibility and it's not easily satisfied. Uh, Kids, I will say, are different in that any, any bicycle at all is really cool. The world is still so new that they don't have the refined sensibility that I just spoke of, you know? And so they're not thinking about, well, why does this bike weigh a third of what I do? <laughs> um, they don't get frustrated with that the way we would. I mean, my gosh, a 50 pound bike, I, I would, I would maybe stop cycling or, or look at take taking up something else. Um, you know, so yeah, we, as adults, are certainly harder to please than, than kids are, but I would say, you know, yeah, uh, road tires on an old mountain bike, um, that's not going to be a super thrilling experience. Um, you must have some exp- experience of this, Selene, of like helping to initiate the uninitiated into the initiation
1: <laughs> well, I, I do. I, I do. And I don't like I don't honestly in my personal life. I don't have much of it. In my professional life, I have quite a bit of it. And it's uh, because bicycling cohabitates with runner's world. We <laughs> actually do a lot of like, let's role play, you know, and it's eye opening. It's it's very, very eye opening to see, uh, you know, what people who don't really ride, like what what intimidates them, what feels <laughs> comfortable to them. Like the, it's it's. It's Especially when you've ridden so long, uh, you know, you, you think that you're on something that's comfortable or easy, or ba- and it's not. You know, so, I mean, there's that element all of its own. I, I will 1,000% agree with you that I wouldn't ride if I put road tires on an old mountain bike. Like, that's there's zero fun factor in that at all. Zero. Um, it, I think it's hard with running because runners, I mean... Runners often can't get their head around coasting. You know, they like they like to <laughs> they like to be wor- they like to be in in that motion. They like to be moving. They like to be working at this certain effort. Descending can be scary for them. Uh, that that's just it's just stuff that they're not used to doing. You know, running right. downhill is very very different from riding downhill. Yeah, uh, one is fun. Bus- yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is that running. Running down a hill is not fun, um, and you know the muscle use. The, it's a very we use opposite muscles. You know, runners use mm-hmm. their hamstrings more. Like it's 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 harder for sure. So there has to be some motivation. A if it's if it's just you saying, hey, wouldn't you like to ride a bike? It's and that person really really doesn't think they want to ride a bike. I'm not sure that you're going to convert. You can try. You sure. know, there's lots and sure. lots and lots of bikes out there. And you could totally find... And in this case, it is, to your point, I think it is a lot about the bike. Finding one that is fun and, you know, responsive and yet stable. Like, finding that right sweet spot of stuff for somebody uh, who is athletic and new to the sport is, I think, super important. Um, you know, but it's it's hard to say if, if one would ever make a lifelong cyclist out of someone who uh is a runner at heart now now if that person is you know if she is indeed stress fractured to the point where she does not uh feel comfortable or she's not you know gun shy about going back to the distances and stuff then maybe you know like maybe maybe (laughs) she would be more open to it It, it's kind of hard to say i mean i know I know two people, and this is not my suggestion. I'm just saying. I know two people that have become elliptigo riders that were. uh, I see your face, but (laughs) this is there's um, there's and I and Bud Coates. I love you to death, but he's he actually was contemplating elliptigoing across the country. Which I have you ever ridden?
0: Uh, no, no, I've been on an elliptical in a gym. That's way different. Well, I can appreciate that it must be. And I just, I liken it to children wanting to dig to China. <laughs> just not going to happen.
1: It is my least favorite uh, thing. in the Like, I'm not a machine person, period. But I really don't like the elliptical machine. I just think it's incredibly boring. Like, it's like a Stairmaster, sort of. But... But it does mimic that. I mean, I think that runners like it because it gives them that same sensation. Sure, it's almost more like cross-country skiing. However, when you're actually on the elliptigo, because <laughs> you're not, you're you're more sort of giving that long stride, not yep. that quick turnover. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, but I, it was vaguely terrifying. I just wrote it from because they had this little crazy bike race in this park and I was like, I'll do it on the elliptigo because we could like rent the elliptigo. And I was, I had to ride, I had to take it two miles from the gym to my house and it was kind of terrifying. Uh, Going downhill on an elliptigo is a very, very strange thing. It's a very, very strange thing.
0: It just seems like a bad
1: idea. I can't. I mean going over the Rockies would be I I would pay. I would he would have to wear a GoPro just and like have a drone cuz I would love to see someone elliptigo uh over the Rockies. But yes. Uh, tangent. Anyway, <laughs> you, you might not want to get her an elliptico, But <laughs>
0: our advice you may or may not
1: want to do this. <laughs> oh. Um, that was almost helpful. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't promise that. Entertaining, but not necessarily helpful. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, good luck. But I do think the first, Your answer was the best answer. I think like trying to see, get her on a fun bike is is definitely the first place to start.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I've seen the reaction of people who thought bikes were kind of okay, and then got on an amazing road bike, and they're like, "Wait oh, a second,
1: yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> you've been
0: holding out on me. It's this fun?" And so, there's so many
1: great bikes, so yeah. many great bikes. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, but but nobody wants to ride a mountain bike with road tires. Nobody, nobody, especially an old one. God knows, there's probably thirty pounds. Does it have twenty six inch wheels? I mean, let's let's. Mm-hmm. I, I see that. T- I see, and to that point, I see that when I when I have watched people invite, and yes, it is often girlfriends. You know, because back in the day, that's sort of how it was. But uh, you know, these guys be like, oh, I'm going to get my girlfriend in mountain biking, and she would be on a tank, and I'm like, she's not going to have any fun. Like that's not going to be fun for her. You have this old bike with like side poles and everything else, and she's going to be terrified, and it's going to be. And you're going to make sure she never rides, and I don't know if that's your underlying motivation, but I, like,
0: <laughs> I could see with some not, guys that would be yeah, the case, right. Yeah.
1: I don't I don't think it's going to be a good time. So um, yeah, like if you are, if anyone out there is thinking like, oh, I'd love to get, make sure they're on a good bike, make sure they're on something fun that you would want to ride. Like that's yep. that's rule number one.
0: Yeah, I and I think that's good. Advice about anything is you know, when you're gonna, tr- uh, when you're gonna share something with someone you care about, try to share it through the lens of what you think is a good time, um, at least in terms of equipment and whatnot. Maybe not take him up to the top of Alpha West to descend that well, on your yeah. first week, but
1: <laughs> right, you know, yeah, but Let's to your point, it. yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be sitting there drinking like your lovely double IPA and give her a Mickey's Big Mouth and be like, Hey, honey. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're just two different experiences. It suggests a certain sort of sense of
0: humor and <laughs> maybe a little cruelty, but it's a, it's
1: yeah. one approach. <laughs> they still make that. Do you know that? I don't know if you know. Is, is Mickey's Big Mouth a, a regional thing or do you have it out there too? It's a malt I, liquor that comes in a little barrel shape. I, I was. A co- I believe was a we do thing.
0: have it out okay. here. I mean, Tom Waits wrote a song. You know, Tom's Wild Years about grabbing some of those after setting his house on fire. Or no, he he got some of those, then went and set his house on
1: fire. Yeah, you would do that though. I that's <laughs> you. I don't think you'd even be arrested. I, I think, I think that if the cops came and you showed them in an empty case of Mickey's, they'd be like, "Well, of course you did." <laughs> <laughs> they would just be like. <laughs> They'd probably take you to the bar and buy you something good and just be like, next time try this. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> anyway, we're not helping anybody. Don't drink Mickey's big mouth. And you never
0: know bikes. what you're gonna learn <laughs> listening to the pace Line
1: <laughs> Oh gosh. Uh, I'm gonna suggest that we move on to the pace line picks. <laughs> Mine is not malt liquor. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> you're killing me. <laughs> okay. All right, we're composing ourselves here, Paceline listeners. My pick this week is uh, along with my weather situation, as it so much always is. I have... Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, you're killing me.
0: Minutes later, okay. I I I'll, I'll mute my mic if I need to. Please continue. Okay,
1: okay. All right, we're back. We're with you. Um, the show is live. This is this is a live show. This is what happens with live television. Anyway, I have, and this is true. I have pearl Izumi soft shell shoe covers. I I do not like. I have winter boots. I do not care to wear winter boots unless I absolutely have to because I don't like heavy feet. I don't like heavy yep. feet on my pedals it, it legitimately bothers me and actually there was one season where I rode nothing but them because it was really cold and kind of crappy and my hips started bothering me like I think it was actually having it was like wearing ankle weights right Ooh. like it was it was almost that heavy that I was starting to get some overuse stuff that I've never had wow. so yeah so I've been a little I've, since that time I'm like eh, I'm going to be a little careful when I wear those heavy kind of shoes and um, but I, Pearl Izumi makes such good shoe covers. They I have gotten through, I don't know how many winters now, because that was a few years ago, almost never wearing winter boots. Like, I just wear my regular shoes with, uh, they have elite soft shell shoe covers, which are kind of a medium thickness. I really love that they don't zip up. They they Velcro or they hook closed in the back. Uh-huh. So you don't have to – because when you have those zippers, they corrode. It's hard to zip with your gloves on. It's just a whole thing. Mm. Um, they're, like, water-resistant. They're wind-resistant. They're remarkably effective at keeping your feet warm. Remarkably effective. Um, and they also have a pair that are – I don't remember the name of those, but they have a f- pretty thick fleece li- lining. You know, So they're neoprene with a – and mm. – Man, they are amazing. They've got some uh, high vis for reflectivity on the outside. They've got Kevlar on the bottom, which is great because you're oh, not really supposed durability. to mountain bike with them. Yeah, but I do mountain bike with them, um, and they have not shredded or you don't end up. I love when you end up with them stuffed with snow and then, and then they're flipped over your toes. You know what I mean? Like I've never you,
0: had that. Uh,
1: oh yeah, I when I get when you have to get off and like hike a bike something in the snow with some shoe oh. covers, they slip off the front of your Uh foot and they pack up with snow. So now you've got like these
0: Keebler elf
1: feet. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, They don't do that. So yeah, that's my I I, I was I've used them a lot this week particularly and I thought I have not given them any love on the show and they deserve some because they get they totally my, my feet do not get cold. Toes maybe after a few hours get a little bit they're going to get a little chilly no matter what, almost.
0: Sure, sure. I, I tell you, Pearl is killing it these days. Um, uh, they'll, they're will they going to come up again at the very end of the show. You know, they'll okay. be getting another mention. So my cool. pick, uh, I'm going with another piece of winter gear. Uh, mm. The mutt. Celine, are you familiar with that term?
1: Mutt? Like dog. Yeah.
0: Uh, I have well, a dog. Like, like, like dog, but not dog.
1: No, I do not it's, know
0: what you're talking about. Okay, a mutt, yes, M-U-T-T. It's a thermal cycling cap. Okay. It was the first cycling cap not to be constructed from cotton. Think about that. It's got a mm. polyester fabric on the outside, usually a fleece liner, um, a traditional cycling cap brim, and then a flap mm. that will cover the ears with oh. that fleece liner. Mm-hmm. But the ear flap can also be folded up, just flipped up in the back. So you
1: look like Robin Hood.
0: Well, hopefully not, but, you know, maybe if you're into that, I suppose you can find a green one. Um, but, you know, when it gets a little more spring-like and right. not quite so wintry, yeah, you can fold that up and, uh, you know, continue on. As with some of my other recommendations, this one is completely brand-free. Muts can be harder to find than a 26 millimeter wide tire, but just the same, they are out there. I've got one from Vermark, but honestly, my favorite is one that the brake maker TRP had produced for them. Huh. I got a, I tell you, I, I got a box of brakes to review from them once and inside was this mutt. And I was like, you're kidding me. Oh, that is so cool. And of the three muts that I have, it is easily my favorite. Um, huh. You know, it, I mean... It, like so many fleecy things, once it's wet, it kind of just stays wet. It doesn't ever get super dry. Right. But it keeps you warm even when it's wet. And, That's important. You know, like the day I've got coming up this weekend where it's going to be, you know, it's going to start in the 50s and raining and it's probably going to rain most of the day and it's probably going to dip into the 30s at some point around Armstrong Woods. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm going to need no glasses and a warm head. And the mutt under a helmet is, that's like another secret weapon. It's just amazing stuff.
1: Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, it would have to be, I have a lot of hair. Um, it would have to be very cold for me because I, I find myself pulling stuff off my head all the time. I have a lot of hair. So when they put a cap on top of it, it's like, you know, it. it The only thing that I sometimes I feel like I need, um, and I usually wear like a, and it's only as light as a buff, uh, because so I don't get like the ice cream headache syndrome when you're, do you know what I'm saying? When you're going down a hill and your forehead gets so cold that it's hurting like you ate ice cream really quickly. Yeah. But I could see because I ride with a lot of dudes with, uh, you know, less hair on top of their head and that, and the ears are very vulnerable things. So
0: yeah, I am I used to have hair almost on the order of yours and and now I'm probably a little closer to Robert de Niro in the head uh, covering realm um, yeah so I I need some help these days
1: yeah no that for sure I mean you're, the heat oh, that's real so cool yeah. well yeah I hope it so, serves you well uh
0: yeah so good luck to folks for finding them I you know they're not easy to find but they are well worth the search hmm. <laughs> yeah well Celine what are some highlights of a work that you've published recently?
1: Um, I published what? Oh, I published a, a kind of a satire piece that was very popular on Monday. Uh, the Onion did a, a story about—I uh, can't remember the exact headline—but it, it was a picture of somebody walking into a crosswalk and like laser eyeing a car that was coming at them. And I do that all the time. Like I just like give a death stare to any car that is. Yep. coming at me so I wrote a kind of a satirical piece on that that was popular but the, the piece that I wrote that surprised me in how much traction and chatter and engagement it's gotten because I, I didn't see it coming is there was a study that came out in Cadence uh-huh. and it's small out of London but the guy actually d- used an oxygen sensor on the rider's uh, quads Okay, and they were recreational cyclists a couple were triathletes small group like 10 but um but he actually had them, like, pedal at the same uh, threshold, ventillary threshold intensity, using cadences from 40 to 90 plus, And okay. just watched what happened with their oxygenation, right? And as they got to 90, I mean, you—they actually, their muscle oxygen saturation dropped. It went down 15% um, because they were inefficient. They just weren't as – they just – so this idea that you should – Always spin, you know, like somewhere in this, somewhere through the history, we got this idea that everyone should spin 90 RPM mm-hmm. and that's, uh, that's just actually not true. I mean, you, you can train yourself to do that and you can mm-hmm. work that way. And if you ride lots and lots and lots, you'll probably get there. But I, I've always been like people, you always gave me a hard time about being a bit of a masher because I am, a, you know, especially when I was doing triathlete blonde, I was a lot of mm-hmm. triathletes are mashers. Um, but that just works for me. I mean, I have I have more type 2 fiber. It's just your muscle fiber combo- composition and all that, right? And I like to switch it up, quite frankly. So, mm-hmm. like, when some muscles are getting tired, I, like, spin it out, and then I make it harder. And it's – so, anyway, That got, th- that's on the site right now. And that, uh, man, people had a lot to say about cadence. I was surprised.
0: Wow. That's – that's interesting and surprising. i got to take a look at that because I, too, from all my recent mountain biking and gravel riding, I've become more of a masher than I used to be. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, like, you know, if you try to roll 90 RPM on a gravel road, <laughs> you're just going to bounce all over the place.
1: Yeah. It's, and mountain biking, too. You need a little torque. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. can spin. You like There's some senses where spinning is awesome, but sometimes, man, you just need that other gear and you need to torque through it. So... Yeah,
0: yeah, very much. Um, cool. How about you? Uh, so I recently wrote a piece about Jim Mers, who headed up engineering for Specialized for a very long time. And mm-hmm. some lugs that were made for a bike. Uh, this was actually a production version of the Epic Ultimate after Ned Overend won, won Worlds in 1990 on a titanium lug carbon fiber Epic. Um they did a production run of those bikes, and oh, okay. they recently ran across a, a mismatched set of those lugs at Specialized, and uh, Jim took some pictures, and uh, I talked to him about all the people who worked on that project. It's a real all-star team from people across the country. Uh, it's it's an impressive collaboration, so an, a neat little piece, a lot of cool
1: photos. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to check it out. I haven't seen that one yet.
0: We've been loving the requests for segments on the show. Uh, you all have been sending some great stuff, and we say keep it up. <laughs> so if you've hey, got an idea... It's been fun. Please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Uh, before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. Uh, this week's show, speaking of Perlozumi, as we were earlier, mm. I interviewed two employees from Perlozumi uh, clothing designer Corey Hibbard and uh, product uh, manager. This is kind of a production position, Sarah App. And so talking mm. about the process of designing clothing and following it through to its construction. Uh, it's a, I thought it was a really fun interview. Um, yeah, so check that out. Cool. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes this easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.